This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our text that was read, very familiar text, comes from the Gospel according to Luke. The 15th chapter and the verses are read from the 11th through the 32nd verse. And it reads as follows. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I know, I know I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Our text today is very familiar and is commonly used to preach messages on Father's Day for obvious reasons. The text is commonly used because it perfectly illustrates the compassion showed by a loving father to two sons who in many respects are both lost. One son presumably wishing that his father was dead so that he could squander his inheritance and the other son jealous 
because the father showed the ungrateful son favor instead of him. Like I said, two sons, prodigal in two different ways, but both quite lost. So as I read the text and in preparing for this message, I noticed something that we may not necessarily have paid much attention to before, especially with such a familiar story. And to help me unpack this, I've chosen to title this message, quite simply, The Fattened Calf. The Fattened Calf. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for the fattened calf. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In terms of context, Jesus was surrounded by some tax collectors and sinners who were gathering around to hear him speak. In that gathering, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered and they murmured. You know how they always murmuring around Jesus. And they said, this man, meaning Jesus, welcomes sinners and he eats with them. It is then that Jesus tells First, the parable of the lost sheep, and then he tells the parable of the lost coin. And then finally, he tells the third parable, the parable that I read for you, the prodigal son. Jesus went on with other teachings, but these three parables in particular dealt specifically with something or someone being lost and then being found. The lost sheep was found, the lost coin was found, and this son who was prodigal was lost and is now found. Mm -hmm. As I pondered the text, it became obvious to me that Jesus made a very specific reference to two groups of people that were around him. The first group, we are told, are the tax collectors and the sinners. This is the group that, by virtue of their lifestyle, are the marginalized in society. The folks that many of us do not want to associate with. The people we don't really like too much. That's like the first group. The second group, where we are told, are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. This is the group that represent the ruling class in society. The ones who are entrusted to keep order and to make everything work for everyone else. The ones who are high and mighty and sit on their proverbial thrones. These are the folks that seem to always get it right. And they have the best education and having been to the best schools and were generally thought of in society as being raised the right way. You know the type. So Jesus is talking to folks that may seem to not have been raised the right way, the tax collectors and the sinners, and the Pharisees and the teachers, the ones who seem to have been raised the right way. You see the difference? It is in the midst of these two groups of people that Jesus tells these very specific parables. Now, without going into too much of the analysis, suffice it to say that the first group of sinners represent the younger son in the parable. Here's where we're going. In this Middle Eastern context around the time, because a young son would make a request for his father to give him his inheritance, is the same way as saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Because you don't receive an inheritance until the person who owns it dies. So if I come to you and I say, I want my inheritance now, it's like saying, I, I, 
I, I want my wife's life insurance money. The only way I'm going to get it is if she dies. So for the younger son to say to his father, I want my inheritance now, what the father here is, I wish you were dead. Wow. It is a heartless request that is an offensive rejection of the home in which that younger son was born and nurtured in. Furthermore, when Jesus says that this young son set off for a distant country, right? He gets his inheritance and he sets off for a distant country. It is more than an innocent desire to see the world. <laughs> what Jesus is really telling us was that the younger son was cutting away from his family's way of living, his family's way of thinking, and his family's way of acting. He wanted to move away from the traditions of his family and their history. A complete and utter rejection of his people and his legacy. The younger son represented every single person that has made up in their mind that the rules of their parents' household was too restrictive. Uh, that they knew better than their family about what's good for them. Y'all know those kids, right? Uh, they want to be free to make their own choices and their own decisions. They, they actually think that they can anticipate consequences of their actions and they can live with them. Uh, they know themselves, and they want to be free. Now, this probably sounds like something our younger people don't like to hear. They don't want to hear what I'm saying. This young generation don't like what the preacher is saying. For the real truth is that many of our young people, and I'm being honest, they are overly sensitive, overly fragile. You say something to them, and they, they fall apart. Amen. They have no real sense of priority. That's our young people. Studies are showing that many young people, especially millennials, they don't hold a job longer than six months before they quit because they haven't been promoted yet. <laughs> you know, hard work is a foreign concept and patience is not a fruit of their spirit because their spirit is one of entitlement that wants its inheritance now. I hope you're hearing me. Which makes perfect sense to categorize them as tax collectors and sinners in the first group. They already know everything, even though they've done nothing yet to show for it. But let me stretch you this morning, church. I want to stretch your thinking about the younger son in another direction. And I especially want my young people that I probably might have just insulted to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I want us to think differently for a moment. Perspective matters. The younger son also represents every single person in our society that has made up their mind that they're an out-of-the-box thinker. That, that they see the world as full of opportunities and possibilities to explore. Sometimes this, this younger generation, they face uncertainty with wonder and intellectual curiosity. In fact, they take risks and sometimes end up changing the world. Wow. As parents and especially fathers, 
We can sometimes be so afraid of the perils and evils of this world that we fail to realize that the only way that we came to know about the perils and the evils of this world was because we dared in our day to be prodigal when we were also young tax-collecting sinners as well. We have forgotten what it was like to be young too. I too used to be overly sensitive and overly fragile and because I was also very immature, I took some risks and I also dared to be prodigal. Yes, I'm fully aware that the context of the story paints a more grim picture, but what I want to let you know is that you wouldn't have the things you enjoyed today if all we did was go along to get along. Over 300 slaves were liberated through the Underground Railroad because people like Harriet Tubman dared to take risks and become prodigal. The AME Church exists because Richard Allen protested the racism of the United Methodist Church and dared to be, what, to take risks and to be prodigal. Our right to vote came because civil rights leaders, mostly young people, dared to take risks and to be prodigal. And finally, and especially today, the Juneteenth National Independence Day, which we now recognize as a federal holiday, was made possible because President Joe Biden dared to take the political risk and be prodigal by signing the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act into law. My point is, sometimes as parents and adults, when our young people show signs of daring to be prodigal, it might just be a good thing to let them go and learn the lessons that they would never learn by you and me trying to limit their passions, whether or not we like or agree with them. But the prodigal son, the younger son, <laughs> took off and left home, only to return <laughs> after discovering for himself that the grass was definitely not greener on the other side. He found out that the life he thought he would have was not all that it was cracked up to be. And in humility, he had to come home expecting to hear his father say to him, what? See, I told you so. That's what he was expecting to hear from his father and probably what he would have heard from me. <laughs> I told you so. I told you so. But that was not what greeted him. Instead, he received the fattened calf. The second group that Jesus was addressing were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, which are represented now by the older son. Are you all tracking with me? Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is good stuff. Let's look again carefully at what happens at the beginning at verse 25. Here's what it says. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, hey, what's going on? The servant said, your brother has come home. And, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, you got to come inside. He says, no. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat 
so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. A cursory reading of the text reveals a few things. First, we're told that the older son was out in the field. What this means is that he was perhaps a very dutiful and productive son. In fact, he admits in verse 29 that for all the years that he has been home with his father, he was slaving for him and never disobeyed his orders. Notice that he said slaving, which is a clear indicator of his attitude. The older brother was the exact opposite of the younger brother because, because, <laughs> because while he thought, meaning the older brother, while he thought the rules of his parents' household was too restrictive, he obeyed. The father might not have known what was best for him, he thought, but still he obeyed. He wanted to be free to make his own choices and his own decisions like the younger son, but he chose to obey. He couldn't live with the consequences of his actions, so he obeyed. And finally, he wanted to be free from his father, but was unwilling to take the risk. Yeah. Do you see the older brother? Yeah. As parents, we may see this child in our homes, and for the most part, consider them the good ones. Th these are the children that every time you find them, they are in their room studying. They come home at the right time. They get the best grades. They have the most polite friends. They are courteous and simply make you just proud. They are the model children. And so they are the ones you talk about to your friends when you want your friends to know what great parents you are. Yet the reality is this child simply does not go along to get along. They simply know how to not get caught. That's why they are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They know how you work, and they know and understand the rules. They know your patterns, and they know exactly how to get away with the things they're getting away with. To be clear, the counter-truth about this child is that they're not out-of-the-box thinkers. They just build a different box. They see the world only as far as what works for them in the moment. They often lack the curiosity that's required to make them take certain risks. And they only take the calculated risks that they believe will give them what they desire. Such may be the picture of the older brother who because of his legalistic and manipulative lifestyle has an ambition that unfortunately was limited to a desire for the fattened calf. And let me be very honest with you. Growing up in my household, I was the older brother the one who got all the good grades, the one who every time my parents came home, I was studying. My brother got in more trouble than we could, you know, count daisies outside. <laughs> it's true. And I was the favorite. But let me be very honest to every person listening to me right now. I was not that good. I was just better at not getting caught. And for many of us, we're sitting here thinking that, you know, wait, wait a second, you know, and we point our fingers at other people and we say to them, you know, you should be more like this and you should be more like that. Meanwhile, we have this big old beam in our eyes 
and not recognize the speck that's in our brothers. Talk about hypocrisy. And we are all pretending as if we're good and the robe does cover up a lot of my imperfections. But sometimes when you are that limited, all you can see is what you don't have. You don't have the fattened calf. So the two pictures that I've painted for you with these two brothers is not only that they are both prodigal and lost, but that one did not earn or deserve the fattened calf, and the other coveted the fattened calf that was already his. <laughs> one brother, the younger, felt so unworthy that he became ungrateful for the fattened calf, especially after dining on the delicacy of pig pods. While the other brother, the older, thought he was at least worthy of a young goat and not the fattened calf. And finally, the compassionate father celebrated the returning younger son by offering him the fattened calf and assured the staying older son of his many fattened calves. Brothers and sisters, this story makes the case that you and I have absolutely no idea what living in abundance really is. The text tells us that the younger son squandered all of his inheritance. Well, tell me this. If he had really squandered all of his inheritance, how is it that he received the best robe, the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet, and yes, the fattened calf? Doesn't that sound like he had much more than he could ever think or desire? Are you tracking with me? And how about the older brother? The text tells us that when he came near the house and heard the singing and the dancing, he refused to go in. And watch this. When he was told that the celebration was for his brother and that they gave him his brother, the fattened calf, he became so angry with his father that he said he would have been satisfied with even a young goat. Doesn't that sound like he had much more than he could ever think or ask, but was willing to settle for less? So here's the big question. Which son or daughter are you? Are you like the younger brother? The one that made a mess of your life and think that you are now worthless, good for nothing, undeserving of anything good from God. Are you so broken and beaten that you look around and all you see is how good you are not? Do words like doubt, discouraged, depressed, despondent, disgusted, defeated, downtrodden, frightened, and afraid describe you? Do you feel unworthy of the fattened calf? Well. Or, or are you like the older son? The one who lives well and have all the benefits of being the favorite. You have a secure lifestyle and all you have to do is walk the path already laid out for you by a family and a community that knows you by name and thinks the world of you. But do words like incompetent, fraud, guilt, hypocrite, perfectionist, Overwhelmed, anxiety, pity, self-loathing, and doubt describe you? Do you feel like you would be satisfied if you weren't so privileged and would settle for a young goat, even though you crave the fattened calf? Mm. 
Well, listen to me carefully. The spiritual difference between the two brothers has little or nothing to do with age and everything to do with how they see and understand themselves. I'm talking to someone online. One thinks he is good enough to be on his own and the other is too afraid to take the risk. Either way, neither of them know what's available to them, which is the fattened calf. You see, both, oh, thank you, Jesus. You, you see, both sons are joint heirs to the father's wealth, but neither son has a full idea just how abundant the father's wealth really is. In fact, here's what the 50th Psalm says. And I love God the Father. Here's what the 50th Psalm says. I, God has no need of a bull from our stall or goats from our pens. In other words, God don't need your, 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 your little offerings that you put in the plate. God don't need that. For every animal of the forest is his. And here it is. And he has cattle on a thousand hills. So while one son is glad to have one fattened calf and the other is settling for a young goat when he has access to fattened calves on a thousand hills, neither of them could see that their father has made provisions for them out of the abundance of his riches in glory. In fact, what they don't know is that in their father's house, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, he would have told them. Look, what the father in the parable says to the oldest son, and to which our heavenly father says to you and to me today, my son, my daughter, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. Everything that God has is yours. But the most important statement in the text is where he says, you are always with me. That's the Father's love. That's my message to my children on this Father's Day. I am not as much concerned that I get a nice card, even though I appreciate it. But I think we should change the culture and make Father's Day the day that fathers instead be the ones to give and to give to their children the gift of saying, you're always with me. You're always with me. What child doesn't want to hear that from their father? You are always with me. What a gift. For our young people, whether they're the younger or the older, whether you're all like me and older, you're always with me. Because at the end of the day, that's what the world needs more than anything else in order to heal. Fathers telling their children, I am always with you. I may not have been able to provide the things that you always want, but I am always with you. I don't always have a fattened calf to celebrate when you've made your mistakes, but I'm always with you. And if your father is no longer around to say those words to you, or if he's around and he has never said those words to you, then hear what God, your heavenly father, 
has to say to you. And I'm talking to everybody. And allow me to say this. My son, my daughter, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. And allow me to paraphrase the text. And I want to celebrate as a father and be glad because you were once dead in spirit and you're alive again. You were lost and now you are found. But the truth is, whether you are like the younger son or the older son, in order for you to enjoy, and church, this is the most important part of my message, in order for you to enjoy the abundance that your father has for you, whether you think or feel you deserve it or not, that fattened calf has to die. That fattened calf has to die. The fattened calf would have to shed its blood so that you can know that you are an heir in your father's kingdom. And our father looked out across the entire landscape at all the prodigal sons and daughters in this world and decided that he would know what? I'm not going to kill millions and millions and millions and millions of fatted calves so you could know that I love you. Let me just kill one. Let me just kill one fattened calf. Once and for all. So that you all can experience true abundant living. For the scriptures remind us that Jesus came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is, in this text, the fattened calf. In the story, because he, he, he died on Calvary's cross for you and for me. And, and if you're willing to either return home like the younger son or Come inside and celebrate those that have come home like the older brother. Then your place is secure. And not only will you always be with the father, but all that he has is yours. All of it. All of it. I don't know what you heard in this message. But if there is anything I want you to take away is that your father, your heavenly father, loves you more than you could ever imagine. And everything that he has, he wants to give to you. And the only reason you're not getting it is because you probably don't think you deserve it or probably don't think you're worthy of it or probably think you'll get it when he dies. Well, here's the truth, church. <laughs> He already died. He already died. So it's yours. It is yours. And it's up to you to take it. I want my fattened calf. I want Jesus. Question is, do you? And so on this day that we celebrate Father's Day, he is always with you. And everything that he has is yours come home or come inside and celebrate with him for he wants to celebrate 
with you. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.